I think you can be seated. Hey, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 4 is going to be this morning. So if you hit Psalms and go right, you'll go through a bunch of uh, the big, longer prophetic books, and you'll, you'll eventually get to Daniel, Daniel chapter 4. As you're turning there, I just want to do a, just a quick announcement. Um, we're super excited. I mean, we're excited to be back worshiping in person again. This is pretty cool. Um, uh, happy for this. Uh, glad for this. For those of you who are making the trip from Bracebridge, and you're, you're driving from Bracebridge to Port Carling to come here, um, just super thankful that you're doing that. Just so you know, I mean, obviously the plan as we launched out this church in Huntsville, the plan was to have the two locations to be able to more effectively reach our communities, having a church in each town, and COVID's kind of messed that up as the the school said, yeah, you can't meet in the cafeteria anymore. But know this, if you are making the trip here, the plan is still in place. We're still praying. We're, we're right now seeking for who would be the, the lead local pastor in Bracebridge, who would be the preaching pastor there, so that when we do find a place that we're looking for now, they'll be able to launch back out again. But in the meantime, just thank you for your heart to say, you know what, I'll make a trip to Huntsville. That's all right. Um, I'll come here. I'll, I'll worship here because I want to worship with my church family. So thank you for doing that. And be praying for us as we continue to seek and to look what God has for us um, in the weeks and months ahead. If you have your Bible open to Daniel, Daniel chapter 4, we've been tracking through this book of Daniel. We've been, we've been this, this journey together of, hey, what does it look like to live in troubled times, in difficult times? I mean, how, how do I live my life when, when, when my life seems to be turned upside down, Right? And we've been tracking with this teenager, Daniel, who, who was taken as a prisoner of war. He was taken from his homeland in Judah, brought to this place of Babylon, taken by this wicked tyrant of a king named Nebuchadnezzar. So, so here's Daniel. He's, he's a stranger in a strange land. He, he's longing for his home, but he also recognizes, God, you have me here in Babylon, in this place of Babylon. You have me here to be a blessing here, to be, to be used by you here, even though I'm in this foreign place called Babylon. And, and here's the thing. It wasn't just a foreign place. It was a place in opposition to the life that Daniel had been called to of following God. And, and up until now, as we've been tracking through, you, you can kind of see the battle of life that we see Daniel and his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The battle they're in is, is, is this battle of the world around them. And we can kind of read this and go, man, how do I live my life as, as an exile now? As we long for our eternal home and we're here in, in, in our communities, in our world, in our Babylon, how do we live this unshakable life in the midst of trials? But here's one way we can miss what God is doing in the book of Daniel for us. We can begin to turn the book of Daniel into this story of morals. You, you can live an unshakable life if, if you just be like Daniel. And, and we make it this big outer thing, like you've got this big bad world out there, and if you're brave like Daniel, you, you can make it amazing. And here's the thing, I mean, I don't care about if you grew up in, in church and you sang the song, Dare to Be a Daniel. I can't. I, I don't have the bravery of Daniel. And what happens when we turn into this, this moralistic story of just be like Daniel as you battle with this battle out there, it becomes this exhausting, impossible life of outward striving. And all the while, we're reading the book of Daniel and we miss, we miss something. We miss who the real hero of the story is. It's not Daniel. The hero of the story is God. 
And, and here's the other thing we miss. We miss what the real battle is. Because the, the battle, the hero of the story, Jesus, the battle is not just out there. In fact, the real battle isn't the Babylon out there. Here it is. Listen, the battle is the Babylon right in here. In Daniel chapter 4, it's this amazing account because it highlights so, so, so clearly, so powerfully the real battle we actually fight every day, even more than the battle we think we're fighting as exiles in a strange land. It's this, this battle in here. And, and here's the thing, that, that, that Daniel chapter 4 can be an uncomfortable chapter if you truly embrace it for what it is. But if you grab a hold of the uncomfortable of Daniel chapter 4, listen, you're going to experience deep and real and lasting hope. So let's dig in. Look at verse 1. It says this in verse 1. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth. Now, now he, he's, he's gathering a bunch of people together. He's saying to all the people. This is King Nebuchadnezzar speaking. He goes, I'm bringing everybody together. And, and really when he says to all the people, this was to all the people. Right? This is not like you and me saying, I've got an announcement. Like all the people don't show up, right? If I go, I got a huge announcement. I mean, will my family even show up to that? I don't know, right? But here is King Nebuchadnezzar. He, he ruled a kingdom that would be, right now, it would be modern day Iraq. That's where Babylon was. And this kingdom stretched from the, the Persian Gulf all the way to the Mediterranean. In the south, it went all the way down to Egypt and Saudi Arabia up to the Black Sea. It was huge. And, and Nebuchadnezzar was this, this ruthless brilliant, powerful warrior. He's pretty much the Stalin or the Hitler of his day. That's what he was, just, just ruthlessly taking over the whole world. And so when he makes a big announcement, everybody's listening. Now, why is he making this announcement? We're going to see as we read through the chapter here, he's making this announcement. He had gone absolutely mad, out of his mind. Not just, well, you know, I was kind of battling with some mental health issues. No, 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 no. Literally thought he was a wild animal. He, he lived outside of the palace in the, the wilderness, eating grass like an ox, it'll say. How long? It says for seven periods, maybe seven years. So, so picture what he looked like living in that way for seven years. Picture, picture if you're a dude and, and, and you had like the COVID beard and COVID haircut when, COVID haircut when things were really shut down. Now, now picture that for seven years. That, that number seven there, it may be years, it might be seasons. We're not sure. We, we read about the, that he was like this for seven periods of time. Here, here's what it means, though. The, the number seven in Scripture, it's a number of completeness. It's God saying, I had time set aside for Nebuchadnezzar to go mad, and I was at work doing it until it was completed. And now he's back saying, hey, here's my story. Here's what's happened to me. So look at verse two, he goes on. He says, it seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the most high God has done for me. Well, this is different. I mean, this is the same Nebuchadnezzar who would kill you if you didn't worship the gods he said to worship. He set up a, a statue. You don't, you don't worship this. You don't bow down to me. You don't consider me the king. You don't consider me to be the, the most high. Then I'm gonna, and now he's saying, wait a minute, there is a most high God. Verse 3, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. He's saying, listen, I want to tell you about this God. 
so much greater than me, a, a greater king with a greater kingdom. And this is what's so important for us as we dig into Daniel chapter 4. Here's our first point this morning. It says, we are in a battle of two kingdoms. We're in a battle of two kingdoms. And so what happens is we jump into Daniel chapter 4. Like I said, we, we, we can make it something that it's not. And, and I don't know about you, but when I watch movies or I read books, you kind of almost in a way you imagine yourself in the story, do you not? You, you kind of put yourself in the story. And most often if you read the story of Daniel, what do you want to be? Man, I want to be Daniel. I want to be Shadrach or Meshach or Abednego. And, and, and I get it. I'm not as brave as they are. I'm not as resolved as they are. But if, if the choice is, hey, do you want to be Daniel in the story or do you want to be Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah, I'm choosing Daniel. But, but remember what I said, though? The, the hope and the victory out of reading Daniel chapter 4 is when you embrace this uncomfortable reality. Listen, listen. You and I are Nebuchadnezzar. In this story, we're not Daniel. We're the one that needs rescuing. We're the Nebuchadnezzar in here. And the kingdom battle that we're in is not so much us versus the world. The kingdom battle we're most often in is this. I'm fighting for my kingdom versus God's kingdom. Again, it's the, it's the Babylon in here. And, and like Nebuchadnezzar, what do we do? We spend our lives building a kingdom. And I'm either building a kingdom that's mine well, my life's about God's kingdom. Now, when I say that, I, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying you can't work hard. I'm not saying you can't be successful, that you can't build a great business, you can't build a great family. But it, listen, it's, it's the why you're doing it. Are you building your own little kingdom? Or is it for God's kingdom? I heard it said this way. Are, are, you, are you living your life in such a way that's a biography or a testimony? Is your life all about you? Here's what I've done. Here's what I've accomplished. Listen, that's a biography. That's all about you. It's, it's the way most of, uh, of us would live our lives. Most of the world would live their lives that way. It's the spirit of Babylon all over the place where people are busy living their lives like a biography. Or, or is your life a testimony? A life that's pointing people to the amazing God who you serve. Like Daniel where the king would say, hey, can you interpret the dream? And what's Daniel say? He actually says, no, I can't, but God can. Is your life a testimony pointing to, to God, a life that shows the goodness and the greatness of God? In, in your struggles, is your life a testimony? In your successes, is your life a testimony? Are you pointing people to Jesus with a story of your life? Let's unpack it a bit more as we read through this chapter. Look at verse 4. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. He's at ease. Life is good for Nebuchadnezzar. So, so when we hit chapter four, this is, this is years. The, the space between chapter three and chapter four, it's probably years. Daniel's no longer a teenager. He's probably in his 30s or 40s by now. This would be near the end of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign where he'd taken over most of the world. Now life's at ease. He's enjoying the fruits of his labor. He's kicked off his work boots. He's, he's sat down into his big comfy chair. He's enjoying life as a king. It says he was prospering. He had a maid. Listen, Nebuchadnezzar's ease of life is more extravagant than you, can I, you and I could ever imagine, all right? His chariot had a sick lift kit, 
right? He had MBRP put on the best pipes on his chair. It was a, like his, his listen, uh, the cottages we look at on the big lakes and go, man, that's a big cottage. His servants would be living there. Like that, that's a, you gotta think that's Nebuchadnezzar. He would not be impressed with a Muskoka millionaire. He has all of this ease, all of this prosperity. And yet, you know what he says? He says, I can't sleep. Look at verse five. He says, I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the the fancies and the, the visions of my head alarmed me. He has another nightmare. So what's he do? Verse six, he says, so I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. I'm starting to think, as we read through the book of Daniel, when it says, I called in the wise men. Like, is he using the word wise men like we call a bald guy curly? Like, these guys can never do, have you noticed that? They're not wise about anything, right? Hey, can you interpret this? No. Can you tell me my dream? Nope. Like, they're, just, they're not, and, and, and you're like, man, and yet, yeah, what's he do? He keeps going back to these guys, looking for answers. And, and before we throw too much shade on Nebuchadnezzar, how often do we not do the same? Trials come, and what do I do? I, I go to that place where, where help can't come from. Trials hit, and we run to things like finances, substances. We, we put our hope in a relationship we put our hope in our status or, or maybe if I could just control this. They can't help him at all. And Verse eight, it says that Daniel finally came. He says, Daniel, why don't you come and interpret the dream for me? Why don't you tell me what it is? Verse 10, he starts to talk about what the dream is. He says, Daniel, this is what happened. The visions of my head, verse 10, as I lay in my bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant. And in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens lived in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in my bed and behold, a watcher, a holy one came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree, lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. There's a dream. It's Daniel, that, that's what it is. This is a dream I had and this is what I did. Can, can you tell me what the dream is? Let's look at verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, he was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. Why was he dismayed? Here's what he knew. He knew, Nebuchadnezzar, this dream's about you. You are the tree. You're about to be cut down. 
You're the man who's going to go wild like an animal. Now, now, now you'd be thinking, okay, Daniel, you've been taken prisoner. The guy who did this to you is about to go down. Wouldn't Daniel go, woohoo, in your face, Neb? You're nothing. Because here's what happens. We know as we read on that, that when he went down for seven years to, to, to just be this wild animal, guess who stepped in to take charge? It was Daniel. So, so why is he so dismayed? He's dismayed because of his heart for Nebuchadnezzar. He has a love for this man. It's an evident, listen, listen, in the battle of the two kingdoms, you can see whose kingdom rules Daniel's life. He'd surrendered the kingdom of his heart to the Lord's kingdom. Think about it. He he has compassion for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the one who captured Daniel. He, He took him from his home to live in Iraq, made him a eunuch and a vegetarian. Come on, some dudes in here are like, no way, I could never forgive him for that. I would not, right? Vegetarian, are you kidding me? Right, and, and Daniel, he, he's surrounded by the spirit of Babylon, but listen, filled with the spirit of God. He submitted his little kingdom, Daniel's kingdom. He submitted it saying, Lord, it's your kingdom. When Nebuchadnezzar hears the interpretation, Daniel gives him the interpretation that you, king, are the, are the tree. You're the one who's going to be cut down. God's in control. God's the real king. You are not the real king. He set you up. He's taking you down. Now, here's what I see here. I see God's amazing grace all over this. I mean, think think about who Nebuchadnezzar was. He sets himself up as, I'm the ultimate king. In fact, I'll kill anybody who says otherwise. You would think that God, in his holiness, would just crush him, would just destroy him would just take him out. And if God did that, if all of a sudden, like, Nebuchadnezzar's gone, we'd be like, it was good, it was right, it was just. But again, God warns him. I mean, this is God's amazing grace. It's his unthinkable patience with Nebuchadnezzar saying, I gave you a dream. I gave you someone to interpret the dream because I've got grace for you. So here, as we battle these two kingdoms, here's what we need to see, our second point. We're rescued in this battle. We're rescued by the power of God's grace. That God would step in and say, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to give you another opportunity to turn. I'm going to give you another opportunity to surrender. That God gives him the dream. And then another opportunity. Like, think about how God does that in our lives, though. In those moments where you live in a way where he doesn't exist. You may say, oh yeah, Jesus is my king, but our life doesn't show it. In those moments where you do what you want to do, even though you know it's wrong. In in those moments where you allow your desires to grab a hold of something you know you shouldn't grab. Where you demand things of people around you you know you should not demand. Where you respond in anger, where you should respond in love. And it would be right and just and good for God to step in and take us out. And to say, listen, you can't treat people like you're treating them. You can't keep abusing my love. You, you can't keep making yourself the hero of every story. You can't keep lying to make yourself look bigger. You can't keep treating your spouse like this or your kids like this or your parents like this. You, you can't keep brushing me off and, and pursue your own little kingdom. And how does God not in those moments just say, listen, you're not gonna take any more glory from me? But he doesn't, he waits. He warns. He's a God of awesome grace. 
He shows him this dream. He interprets it for him. Verse 28. He knows what's going to happen now, that, that God's going to chop you down. God's going to take you out. You are not who you think you are. Verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 29. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon. And I, you're going to stop there. Wait a minute, wait a minute. At the end of what? 12 months. God gives a warning. Humble yourself, Nebuchadnezzar, or I'm going to humble you 12 months later. Like, I'm thinking as a parent, there's no way I would say to one of my kids, hey, listen, you need to do what I say, and I'm going to give you a year. You'd never do that. Think about how impatient we are. I'm thinking in this COVID season when you're going through the, the aisles of Walmart or the grocery store and someone's standing there trying to figure out what pasta sauce they need and because it's COVID, you're not allowed to really go past us. You're just waiting there. Just pick a sauce, right? In my head, I say that. Outwardly, I say, God bless you, right? I'm so amazed at God's patience with Nebuchadnezzar and listen, his patience with us. He's in this battle of his kingdom over God's kingdom. Verse 29, at the end of 12 months, he's, he's on the roof of his royal palace in Babylon. Historians say that he would have had maybe three palaces. This one would be one of the most beautiful ones. He married a woman who was from a lush green nation and brought her to Iraq. So he builds this, this thing called the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, this, this unbelievable jungle garden in the middle of the desert. He's standing up on that. Look what he says, verse 30. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power, as a royal residence, and for the glory of my majesty. And you might hear that and go, man, Nebuchadnezzar, you are such a crazy, prideful man. I'm so glad I'm not like that. What I want us to see, though, is that the spirit of Nebuchadnezzar is at the heart of every sin in my heart and your heart. It's us building our own little kingdom. Look at what I've built. The, the root of all sin in our heart is when, when we talk about my pleasure. It's about my comfort. It's, it's my plans. It's, it's my will. It's, it's my way. I want what I want. We've been created to be dependent on, on a king, the God of the universe, to be dependent on him. But the original sin right away in the Garden of Eden was what? It was, it was us saying, no, we want control. We want the glory. And so if you want to move and, and grow to this unshakable faith we've been talking about, it's not a move from dependence to independence. It's a move from independence to dependence. The unshakable faith we're looking for comes when we surrender our little kingdom. And the more that unshakable you are, it's seen in how, how joyfully dependent you become. The more you let go of the delusion that you're actually in control. And, and we begin to rest in the, in the sovereign providence of God. God, you're a good king. I'm not the king. The start of this unshakable life that we're, that we're promised in Scripture, it's, it begins with surrender. 
It begins in that battle of two kingdoms where you say, I'm laying my kingdom down. I'm putting the white flag up. Jesus, it's yours. It's having our heart rightly ordered. It's a heart of worship. You ever notice how the Ten Commandments begins with what? You shall worship no other gods. It starts with a heart of worship. No other gods before me. Because listen, if you don't surrender in that moment, it's it's a a command of surrender. If you don't surrender, you're never going to follow the rest of the commandments. In in the New Testament, Jesus says it this way. When, When you pray, start this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. So if we want to surrender our kingdom, it starts there. Lord, it's your kingdom. Your kingdom, your will in how I parent my kids. Your kingdom, your will in how I do my marriage. Your kingdom, your will in how I order my finances. Your kingdom, your will in how I do life at school as a student. How I do my career how I do friendships, how, how, it's your will in my health. It's your will in my mind. It's, it's your kingdom come in my trials. Your kingdom come in my victories. You start to see that the, the battle we're in is so much less about out there. The battle's in here. Who has the throne of your kingdom, of your heart, of your life? Nebuchadnezzar's story is meant to grab our attention. His pride is so shocking, but it's a picture of the battle we fight in our own hearts. Let me ask it this way. Where would you be standing on the balcony of your life and saying, it's mine? This is about me. I mean, the the sin we would call, we we would call that what? We would call that pride, right? Right? And then pride is really just this. It's us standing on the balcony of our life. It's, it's our eyes on our kingdom saying, this is mine. So, so pride reveals itself in this way. When life is going really well, you see pride show up where we say, look at all the good of my life. I deserve this. I earned this. I worked harder than anybody else. I'm smarter than anyone else. I, I'm more holy and follow Jesus more than anyone else. I deserve this. It's pride. Pride when life is going poorly, when, when things are beating you down, you think, oh, I'm not prideful now. I'm so, so beat up. And listen, you're still focused on your kingdom though. And you're saying, I'm suffering more than anybody else. Things aren't fair. My, my life is harder. Listen, it's the same pride. Pride is just this. Pride is focused on you. In fact, C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, a proud person is always looking down on things and on people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see that something is above you. Here's Nebuchadnezzar on his porch, looking down on his kingdom. Us, looking down on our kingdom. Us, focused always on ourselves. Look at me. What's going on with me? And because Nebuchadnezzar's resistance, because of his pride, God fulfills the warning. Look at verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. 
Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Now again, the point we're still under as we're looking at this is, is we're rescued by the power of God's grace. Where's God's grace in that? It might be hard to see it in those verses. Is, is this God's grace here on Nebuchadnezzar? When we think of grace, we normally think, well, it's, it's, it's rescuing, it's, it's saving, it's, it's relieving us. That's, that's grace. But listen, there's also a grace that's a severe grace. It rescues, but, but this grace of God at times has to come down like a hammer because our hearts are so hard. Hardened by sin and by pride. Sometimes our hearts are so hard that the, the most loving thing God can do is to break up that hardness with some severe tools of grace. And at times he brings hardship into our lives. King David said in Psalm 51, just this, this powerful psalm of, of repentance, of, of surrendering his kingdom, where, where he says, may the, bro the bones you have broken rejoice. He's saying, God, the hardship you've put me in, it hurt deeply, but by breaking me, you've rescued me. There are times when, when God's grace comes in very uncomfortable ways. There are times when God allows our pride to have its full effect. He says, you want that? Then I'm going to remove my, my hand of grace on you to give you another grace where you experience the full effect of your pride. Allowing that pride to turn us wild. To, to reveal the reality of our hearts, to, to show us how twisted and ugly our pride really is. And we're saying, God, God, remove the trial. And God's saying, no, 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 the trial's my grace. I'm refining you. I'm, I'm bringing you to a, a place of surrender. I'm, I'm shaking your little kingdom so you can rest on my unshakable kingdom. God will do whatever it takes to bring you to that place. And so maybe, maybe right now, if you're experiencing that in your life, and maybe for you right now, maybe it's not the world against you. Maybe it's not a satanic attack against you. Maybe, maybe you need to begin to ask, God, are you refining me here? Are you at work? Are you using hardships to rescue me? Are, are you taking me into some hardships that I would never choose for myself because you're doing a work in me that I, I can't do on my own? You're the one who's raising me up. It's God's grace. I mean, think about it. If, if complete dependence on God, if a surrendering of our kingdom is, is so important, if that's where we have an unshakable life, then, then what's he gonna do? Then, then, then being broken, being weak is actually an advantage. So what are some ways that God's been bringing you low lately? Maybe it's in some area that you cling to for security, for significance, and God's saying, I need to chop down that tree. 2 Peter 5, 6 says it this way. It says that we're to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that the proper time, those seven years, the proper time, what he needs to do, and he's, he's taking his mighty hand and he's, he's humbling, he's, he's pressing down. He says, humble yourself under there so that, that he may lift you up. Now, here's the thing. When God presses down with trials, I've heard it said this way. Oftentimes, it's like trying to push a beach ball down in the water. You ever do that? What's it do? Right? And God's like, I'm pressing on you to bring you something new, something, something 
a new creation of you. I'm, I'm, I'm breaking the, these bonds of your little kingdom. And, I'm pressing, and what do we do? We try to scoot out. Fear makes us go one way. I want, pro, I want, I want comfort, so I go another way. Always, when, when we scoot out from it, it's, it's always in pride. And God's saying, stay low. Trust me. See me in this. I love how Colossians 2 says it, where it says, the way you started your journey with Christ, continue on that way. I think of what that means to stay low. How, how did you start your journey with Jesus? If you're a Christ follower, you started what? Dead in your sin, lost, blind, and naked. And what did you, do? you laid your life down at the cross and said, Jesus, I need you. I have nothing. I'm, I'm trusting you for my eternity. And Jesus, in that moment, takes care of your greatest need. He says, I'll take your sin. I'll give you my righteousness. So in light of that, what, what do we do? We can have confidence to now as we continue to follow Christ, we can lay everything down. We see Nebuchadnezzar was eventually restored. And, and you hear this language of a surrendered kingdom and, and what he says when he's restored. Look at verse 34. And at the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High God, and I praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? He's saying, God, it's you. You're king. It's your kingdom. Now, now, how did he get there? How did he go from this pride that had gripped his heart to experiencing this renewal? The question I would ask is this. How do we do the same? How do we surrender our kingdom? How do we move to this unshakable kingdom of God? I think the clue is at the beginning of verse 4. Look what it says. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, what did he do? I lifted my eyes to heaven. If, if pride is looking down, always looking at yourself, always looking down on others, then listen, listen, the way out, the way of surrender is to look up. Where God brings you to a place of humility where you have to look up and say, God, I need you. I need your rescue. So I'm, I'm laying everything else down. I don't even care anymore. I, I, don't, I don't care about these things that I'm trying to grab a hold of. I'm done. And listen, Nebuchadnezzar, you gotta understand who Nebuchadnezzar was. He had what... what Nebuchadnezzar knew something that very few people would ever get to know. He literally had everything you could ever want. He had all the power, all the wealth, all the control, a life of ease, and yet what was he? He was still deeply troubled. Now why is that? Why do we see this with, with celebrities and, and powerful billionaire business leaders? Do you guys watch the interview with Oprah and, and the little royalty right there, right? You have a billionaire interviewing millionaire who are royalty. And what do you see? People who are lost and broken. Why? Because when you get to that place and you come to realize something that the rest of us who don't have that kind of power, so we deny it, but they get to the place where they see, man, the human soul wants something that is so big and you can pour all the empires of the world into that soul and still not be satisfied. And so many people spend their entire lives going after this. If, if only I had fill in the blank, I'd be fulfilled. 
And here's another person, Nebuchadnezzar, who's gotten everything. He had arrived, and he says, it's empty. Maybe some of you this morning, you need to hear this. Surrender. Repent. Repent is just this. I'm going in this direction. I'm building my kingdom until I see this does not bring life. And you see Christ, and he says, turn to me. And you turn. You turn away from the little kingdom. It's an act of surrender. That's what repentance is. I'm turning from that. And Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm following you. I'm laying my life down for you. Whatever you call me to, I've given my life to you because you've given your life for me. You're my king. So here's how we're going to respond this morning. I want to give us an opportunity to surrender. And, and, and God's given us this, this unique way as the church to come to that place to remember a, a real tangible way. So we're going to end off this morning, not with a worship song. We're going to end off with taking communion together. So I hope as you came in, you grabbed one of these little cuppy things. When you peel the top layer, you can get the cracker out. Hey, go ahead and do that. You can grab the cracker out. I use the term cracker very loosely. All right. Then you can peel the other and you, you see that where the cup can be opened up. Listen, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, what are we doing? Listen, it's an opportunity to remember that there was a king, another king, another king who was humiliated. But this king, King Jesus, he wasn't humiliated because of pride. He, he was willfully humiliated. He, he did it as an act of sacrifice. You can see the similarities in, in what happened. In Isaiah 52, it's prophesied that Jesus, when he was crucified, he would be so disfigured by the beating, by the whipping, so disfigured that you wouldn't even recognize him as what? As a human being. As we remember the cross this morning, we have the bread to remember his body given for us, the blood to remember his, the cup to remember his blood poured out. We remember that Jesus was so beaten, so pierced, that people looked on him and were terrified because he did not look like a human. And in our pride, in our pride, where we want to be, we want to be like God, like Nebuchadnezzar, what to do? It, it turns us less human than, than Jesus, who is God, became so marred that he didn't even look human. Why? So that we could be rescued did it willingly. He said, for the sin of Nebuchadnezzar in you, I'll become Nebuchadnezzar. He did it for proud people like you and me. He did it because there's no way that we could help ourselves. But instead, he lives the perfect life, dies a substitutionary death to rise again to save us from our sin, to save us from death. So, so that we can release our little kingdoms and be with him forever for his glory and his kingdom. So this morning, as you hold on to the bread, and we're gonna take this together in a second, as you hold on to the cup, that, that, that there'll be a, an opportunity where you'll be able to recognize, man, I, here's where I'm clinging to my kingdom. Here's where I'm holding on. And I see the pride. I see where it is. Whether it be this high pride of I'm awesome or a low pride of, of you just looking at yourself and you're always thinking about yourself, but it's still a pride in you that you would see that and you would say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you rescue me from this. Maybe this morning you're saying, I've, I've, I've never surrendered my heart to Jesus in this way. To the glory of this king. It's an either way. Take time this morning to do just that.
Maybe for you it's the first time you say, I'm laying it all down. I'm bringing my sin and my shame. I'm bringing it to you, Jesus, that you would take it because of your body given for me in my place, because of your blood shed for me in my place, that I would be redeemed and rescued. I surrender it all to follow you as my king. So this morning, let's do that together. Would you, would you take the bread even now? It, it represents the body that Jesus says, I, this is my body given for you, that we'd eat together. In this moment, you would take the time where Jesus, your body given for me. Take the time right now. What is it you need to lay down this morning? What is it you need to, to, to say, Lord, it's yours? Where do you need to look up this morning? take the cup. Jesus, this is my blood shed for your forgiveness. We drink this together, remembering the blood shed for us. Let's drink together. Listen, this morning as we end off thinking about the body of Christ given for us, the blood of Christ shed for us, that he would become Nebuchadnezzar for us to bring us into his kingdom. Listen, this morning, take the time even now. Don't hide in your shame. Don't hide in guilt. Don't hide in fear. Don't hold on to your pride this morning. But listen, Jesus has paid the full penalty for your sin. You can surrender this morning. You can find mercy and grace and new life. And God will do the work. He says, humble yourself. That's your job. It says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. That, that, that's a surrender move. You say, this is what I'm doing. Lord, I'm releasing this. And it says, and he will lift you up. God will do that work. In fact, let me pray for us right now. Heavenly Father, I, I pray for us as a church. God, I pray that you would do your work of grace in our hearts. God, I even pray right now that by your grace, that the, those who are here this morning or those watching online, God, that you would set people free today. Free from addictions free from shame, free from condemnation, free from a pride that would, that would cause us to boast or a, or a pride that would cause us to despair. But God, you would, you would set us free from all of that by your power, by your grace. Heavenly Father, I, I, I pray this morning that, that the lies of the evil one would be so silenced that even right now, kingdoms would be being surrendered. To you, our King. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, we're going to end off here this morning, but even where you're at, you don't have to rush out of here right away. If you, if you need to spend some time in prayer, I would say this, don't just rush out if you need to grab somebody. If you need to pray with somebody. If you need to continue to, to lay down these kingdoms, and sometimes, listen, sometimes the pride is so, so deep, so real, you're gonna need, hey, would you pray with me on this? And that God would do a work of setting people free today. Amen? Amen. Love you guys. Can't wait to see you next Sunday as we worship together again. God bless.